Munit Levy of Channel 12 in Tel Aviv. Hello, I'm Jonathan Friedland from The Guardian in London. And we are Unholy, two Jews on the news from Keshet Podcast. Hiya, Jonathan, we're back. We are back. It's felt so long. In fact, he has <laughs> Exactly. And we, we, we should apologize because we said we would be gone for July. And in the end, we were gone for the whole of the summer. So apologies to unholy listeners. But we are now back. I like it when you apologize. Indeed, return of the Yiddai. So it's our second season. Um, <laughs> to those of you just joining us now, here's a recap. What are we actually doing here? I'm, I'm here for the snacks. What are you doing here, Jonathan? Well, we are two Jews on the news. It's the two of us, isn't it, talking about what's gone on inside Israel, outside Israel, in the wider Jewish world, and in the wider world, uh, kibitzing away and um, and going back and forth. And in fact, well placed to do it, I would say, because at least one of us is absolutely across what's going on in Israel. You are Israel's foremost news broadcaster. Everyone in Israel gets the news from you. Uh, and so nobody really better place to uh, offer commentary on what is going on in that country. Yes. And for anyone who doesn't know who Jonathan is, which what have you been reading your whole life, I got to ask. But I would say that Jonathan is by day Clark Kent, an estimable columnist of The Guardian, by night author of thrillers under the pseudonym Sam Bourne. So I will give you that. Well, it kind of sounds like Superman whatever. Well, Clark Kent and the Wonder Woman <laughs> of Israeli news. Uh, and in fact, slightly gets are going to be our first clue because we do have a couple of bona fide A-list Hollywood megastars on the program. And that is not hype. That is absolutely the truth. You have to stay with us to the end of this week's Unholy and all editions of Unholy because this week we are joined by Hollywood royalty. And I may have given a little clue to at least one of the two people you were who just, are going to be um, with us. You were making a big meal of it, as my British friend here would say. You would say that, wouldn't you? You were making yeah, a big well, no, meal of it. Yeah, definitely. Make a meal of it. <laughs> yeah, often it's a sort of, look, don't make a meal of it. But in this particular case, let's make a meal exactly. of it. Exactly. And in fact, people are making a meal. You like that? <laughs> uh, right as we speak, I'm sure as this is going into people's earphones and into their ears, they are slaving away in the kitchen because a Jewish festival is upon us. And as we always know, every Jewish festival involves huge amounts of eating. The Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, is looming. Uh, and uh, it's time for a, a fresh start and renewal. I mean, I think that's the great thing about Rosh Hashanah. I, I indeed think so. Oh, uh, just one more thing that's new, because you mentioned something's new, and we'll, we'll dive into Rosh Hashanah in a minute. We will say that you can also hear us uh, this season uh, through the Forwards newsletter, and we will be available on El Al flights, uh, or so they say. I have not been on a plane for a while. So yes, but when we are, <laughs> Unique, wouldn't it be lovely to have each other's voice in our ears as we travel, where, wherever that's going to be, I agree, we've not done that for a while. Although I did, did actually have a couple of plane rides this summer, and I will tell you about those later on. But yeah, it is uh, Rosh Hashanah. It is a time of, and this is a funny thing about Jews. I mean, everyone else, when it's New Year, it's champagne, it's parties, it's counting down to midnight. Do Jews do New Year that way? <laughs> no. <laughs> We don't. We instead, our indulgence extends to a slice or two of honey cake uh, instead of the champagne. And instead of looking forward, there's a bit of that, but there's a lot of looking backward and reflecting on the year just gone because party animals, as we Jews are, <laughs> we decide that New Year is the beginning of the 10 days of penitence and atonement culminating in Yom Kippur uh, the Day of Atonement, uh, uh, 10 days later. So, you know, it isn't, it isn't all party, the Jewish New Year, is it? 
No, you know how that always goes, the Jewish holidays, or they tried to kill us, they failed. Let's eat. This is just let's eat, which is nice. I think Rosh Hashanah just left the last bit. I, uh, you know, I yeah. We can cut to the chase. Can't exactly, we? To the which is what's cake. nice. Yeah, it, Rosh Hashanah like is a nice holiday. We have to, we have to admit. I mean, you know, I'm a bigger fan of Purim, but uh, you have your reservations about that. But you know, it's a nice, uh, it's a season of renewal and and you know, optimism and and yes, we like to look back, but we also look forward. Um, there's this beautiful line by Israel's. Uh, I don't know. You know, she would be our perennial poet laureate, Nomi Shemel, which says, "Sheafavish shonat teheashana." which means may this year be uh, beautiful and different than the year that has passed. Let's settle for just different this year. I think that will absolutely be enough. It's like when people say, you know, may your life be ordinary, which is apparently a Chinese blessing, you know, and you think, yes, different will be good enough given that uh, 2020 or the uh, uh, the Jewish year that's passed has been corona plagued but i think we're going to do a bit of looking back and a bit of assessing uh it's a slight the rosh hashanah uh, ritual of reflection is a bit like the jewish version of kids at christmas uh trying to persuade santa whether they've been naughty or nice as he draws up his list that's, uh, that's blasphemy uh, that's ter- you just compared it is a, I, as i said it i thought myself that that's is okay. terribly blasphemous to do that um because of course it's much more uh, uh, serious and uh, and thought through than that, but yeah, the idea is that you do weigh up, you do a sort of cheshbon nefesh, you mm-hmm. look and at your soul. You know, it's an accounting of the soul as you work out whether you've done good things in the previous year, and particularly you focus on the bad things. And the Jewish prayer book is a, is there as a help because it's got some pre pre written sins you may have committed, and you stand in synagogue with your right hand and you beat your chest. As you encant the words al chait, naming one sin after another, uh, and so know, you know, know this is a party, time of oh, this is a major sort of guilt trip season, <laughs> one way or the other. Um, and I thought we would do that, probably not for ourselves uh, on this podcast, um, but we might do it for the those who are in great uh, in power in the world, our world leaders, and see where they have uh, gone wrong in the past year. Sure. So, who do we want to start with? Well, he's most powerful, isn't he, in the world? So I think we probably ought to talk about the President of the United States. Last Rosh Hashanah, it, that title was Donald Trump's, mm-hmm. but it's now Joe Biden. So I think we should talk about how he's done. How do you right. think he's done? Almost. When he stands in synagogue, <laughs> got lots of Jews in his family, isn't he? If he goes to synagogue, yeah. Rosh Hashanah, he's the 10 most days of penitence, Jewish, Irish, Catholic you will well? ever meet, I think, uh, this president. Um, well, we have to start with, I mean, the timing is everything in life, right? If we were, ha- if we had this conversation three weeks ago, I think, uh, the report card would probably be a little better. It's nice that we're giving out report cards. Uh, School year has just started, but we believe in tough love. So let's talk about uh, his report card and begin with, obviously, uh, Afghanistan and the and the withdrawal. Um, I have just to say from the Israeli perspective, looking at this, the question that looms large over this whole uh, um, period is, of course, um, what will be the appetite of the United States to deal with any. Uh, or any other malignant uh, actor in this region, obviously Iran being the biggest question, that is something that Israelis are are very concerned about. It's funny. I I, I have mixed feelings about this one because on the one hand, I don't buy the narrative, which has been around in quite a few places, which is this is just going to tank Joe Biden's presidency. He wanted to be FDR, but he's ended up as Jimmy Carter. You know, a lot of people have been saying that. And, And that's for the actual sort of slightly brutal reality, which is, Carter was sunk because it was Americans who were hostages in the Iranian embassy. It was Americans 
in a way who were humiliated by that experience and it's terrible to say it this way but i don't think americans will feel that because they'll think it's afghans only afghans in quote marks who america has sort of let down uh with this uh you know hasty and uh, and in some ways chaotic uh, exit but i have a f- version of the sort of feeling you're describing about when you say israelis are worrying will america ever get involved again which is i feel a slightly jewish reaction um which is look 20 plus years ago there was this mood in the world which was if bad things are happening in back governments are doing bad things to their people well western countries might intervene and do something about that and there had been in the 90s the balkans bosnia and kosovo in britain sent troops to sierra leone tony blair was making speeches about in chicago about liberal interventionism and then iraq came, then afghanistan came along and then iraq and so that idea is now discredited. And I just can't help but wonder if we're now living in a world where actually the message of the failure in Afghanistan is going to be to dictators and evil regimes, you know, knock yourself out, do what you like, because America is not going to come knocking on your door ever again. You know, there was a beautiful piece by uh, Anne Applebaum in, in The Atlantic saying that liberal democracies are worth fighting for, right? That you, um, that, that you need to know that there is a force in this world that if something, a terrible enemy comes comes along and, and you know that someone will have the power to fight it, I think we have to kind of cling on to that because it's a different, look, America failed in Afghanistan. I think it begs the question, would someone have succeeded uh, there? That is separate, I think, in a way from the question of the United States as a policeman and has it abdicated uh, it's thrown. And I think that especially from our perspective, right, living in probably the most volata- volatile region in the world, you want to hope that that isn't the case. Yeah. I mean, you know, I should be really clear about this. When when it happened at the time, I was against uh, the United States invading and Britain at its side invading Afghanistan. Absolutely of course, the United States was going to have to hit back at Al-Qaeda bases and sites inside mm-hmm. Afghanistan after 9-11. But that was how I imagined it operating, a kind of police action, you know, where you hit specific targets rather than invading and occupying the whole country. And the reason I thought that, remember, let's remember when this was, it was 2001. And partly what I had in my mind was the withdrawal just the previous year mm-hmm. by Israel under Ehud Barak of its forces that had been in Lebanon for the best part of a quarter century. Mm-hmm. You know, and I thought the lesson of that, and you could say this about the, about the wider Israeli occupation in the West Bank and Gaza as well, but the, the lesson I thought the world should take from that is, you know, it's very easy to get in very hard to get out um, and you've got to be really really sure that you know you don't just want to hit your enemy in their military targets terrorist camps etc that you're really ready to reshape a whole country nation build build a democracy that to me was always for the birds especially in afghanistan given its its history you know it's the graveyard of empires yeah. you know those who the gods want to destroy they make invade afghanistan you know it's always been doomed so i always thought at the time bad idea but just that principle which i think we both mentioned and you you mentioned Anne applebaum that you don't really want a world of impunity where uh, 
and we know we live in one we've always lived in one but there, there was that brief flowering of an the idea that yeah sometimes if bad things are happening you may not get away with it. you know aaron david miller obviously an experienced diplomat uh tweeted something that i really i i can relate to he said the entire afghan enterprise reveals the flaws in american judgment and competency and the limits to america's power and influence not their permanent demise uh and i think it does speak to this, you mentioned the Israelis uh, leaving uh, uh, southern Lebanon. Also, you know, very chaotic, chaotic for Israel and chaotic even more for the uh, southern uh, Lebanese uh, army. Israel uh, since has, not actually since then, but for the past, let's say, decade, engages in something that is called the campaign between the wars, right? You kind of work with precision attacks under the radar in faraway countries to avoid a total war. That is what Israel is doing. Maybe that is part of the future uh, plan of the United States. But here there really was a case of overreach, right? It was trying to nation build. It was trying to bring democracy. This is just a terrible tragedy. I mean, you know, if you think of the fact that you would sit, we would talk 20 years ago and say in 20 years we would be discussing the United States withdrawal from Afghanistan, negotiating with the Taliban uh, to, to withdraw – the Taliban is still there. That's a tragedy. The whole uh, withdrawal and the way it was done uh, was was a tragedy. The question is, what kind of America will emerge from this? And this is an argument. And what it, what is the U.S.'s role in the world? Is an argument that we're not ha- we're not having now. I mean, Jefferson and and Hamilton were having it in the 18th century, right? So I think it's essential for. You know, it's hard for someone not from the U.S. to have this. This is what America should do. But I think that from my point of view, I hope that they choose to still take part in in what is happening in this region. So I think we agree there is plenty on the al hate <laughs> agenda for Joe Biden, for the Biden administration, actually, truthfully, for the all the uh, allied countries of the world who were involved one way or another with Afghanistan. There is plenty of guilt to go around and reflection to be had. We did promise a Hollywood A-lister, um, and we have one. Uh, we are about to hear... Well, why don't we let him introduce himself? Hello, unholy listeners. Hi, you're Nit and Johnny. It's Sasha Baron Cohen here with my nomination for Mensch of the Year. I know it sounds very echoey, but that's because I'm in my bedroom. It's huge. Um, and it's, you know, it's very, it has no carpet or any furnishings or even a mattress because that's, that's what we do in Hollywood. My mention of the year is Mark Benioff. Why, I hear you ask? Because he sent PPE to a lot of health workers in need this year. I cheekily, some would use the term chutzpadikily, which is not actually a term, but some of you would use it, asked him to send some PPE to um, NHS nurses and doctors when they didn't have any protective clothing at the beginning of COVID. And amazingly, despite him being American and having no connection with England or Britain, he helped send over a few plane loads of PPE. So, mention of the year, Mark Benioff, thank you very much. Johnny, you're neat, unholy listeners. I'm not in a men's bathroom. It's time for me to go to sleep in my Hollywood bedroom. Good night. So, a <laughs> uh, lot to unpack there, Johnny. <laughs> There's lots going I on there, will, isn't there? I uh, will go back to that in a minute. I have so much to say. I want us to have an extra podcast episode just to discuss this recording. <laughs> um, let's start with good choice. 
I mean, great choice. I mean, I have to say, I wasn't super familiar with in American internet entrepreneur and billionaire Mark Benioff, and I didn't know that story about the NHS, of course, being the National Health Service here in Britain. You know, our uh, taxpayer-funded public resource, which has got the status of kind of royalty in this country. Who knew? But um, and Sasha himself involved in getting Mark Benioff to help. So right. he, you know, there's lots of eye-openers there for me. Yeah, and, and just thinking the fact that this is all supposed to be the government's. A role not only in your country but in many other countries, and the fact that that uh, philanthropists are stepping in uh, is something to note in itself. I think, but yes, good choice. Now, uh, can I ask uh, how you two know each other, Jonathan? <clears throat> well, he uh, he slightly outed me with the reference to Johnny there because it is quite true that people who have known me a very long time, and he has, call me Johnny, and that's because I was the madrich or youth leader for Sasha Baron Cohen in the youth movement that we were both members of back in the 1980s. <laughs> uh, it is true. And um, I'm where everyone, everyone who knows me from that, it calls me Johnny. Uh, the youth movement question being Hubble Nim Draw, which is a kind of kibbutz. It's, a, it's, a, it's an arm of the kibbutz movement. It's, it believes in socialism and, you know, summer camps and hiking through the Welsh countryside. And I was the, you know, responsible adult. And he was the precociously clever and funny 12-year-old boy and then carried on all the way through until, you know, he was a student and I was just in my last year or so there. So I've known him a very long time. He remains a very good friend and uh, that's why he still calls me Johnny. So wait, 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 wait. <laughs> um, <laughs> first of all, Welsh countryside supposed to be the kibbutz kind of thing? I'm just trying to... Well, exactly. Well, you know, okay, should we get into this? So yes, the idea was of youth movements is they were preparing their members, uh, you know, hachshara, for life as, you know, dairy farmers in the Galil or whatever. And so that le lived on in the form of two-week summer camps in the Welsh countryside, hiking around. And Sasha will remember this, that uh, I was age 17 in charge of a group of, with you know, of 12-year-olds. And we were hiking around and we did a little night hike. And my sense of direction, which has actually only got worse, was so bad that I managed to get these kids completely lost in the middle of the Welsh countryside. And uh, Sasha was there for that experience. It may have put him on the course, on the path that he is now on that has led him all the way to that It's a new genre Hollywood of survival country. comedy. Um, what, so how did you <laughs> finally find your way out? I assume you did since we we're sitting here. So... We did finally find our way out, yes. Oh. And I, felt, I realized that I'd wandered, instead of being in the countryside, I heard the clink of milk bottles at about four or five o'clock in the morning and realized we'd actually managed to walk into a suburb where there was a milkman delivering milk instead of it being in the kind of rolling... <laughs> hills of the or, or welsh valleys i'd managed to lead all these kids in completely the wrong direction into a suburb and i had then had to sort of march them all out again i think a train or a bus was involved eventually <laughs> it was an abject failure but sasha's forgiven me for it and uh, and and you can hear the result i um I, I know that you would never do this because you're so modest but there is a uh, of course habonim is habonim Dol is on uh, wikipedia and it, there's a, a category famous graduates I'm just multitasking while we're talking. You're on it, of course. I didn't uh, know you that. Are. And you're, I knew you would ever check this. But And uh, you're right under Stanley Fisher, the vice uh, chair of the Federal Reserve. And uh, Golda Meir is here. Um, wow. Look at that. Chaim Herzog is here. 
I assume you weren't at the same time there, and Seth Rogen, and of course, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. This is a Netflix comedy waiting to happen. Someone needs well, to Well, you up. are right to mention comedy because the, it is freakish how many people in British comedy, Seth Rogen, of course, as well, uh, in big, big names in British comedy were in this tiny youth movement. I mean, we are talking maximum 200 people at any one time were in this organization. Uh, you know, sometimes have, there'd be conversations about, are we a mass movement? And you think, no, there's 200 <laughs> people here. Um, and the, you know, David Baddiel is a massive stand-up comedian in this country. Yep. Mike Lee, the Oscar-winning uh, film director, was in Hubble What happened to him in camp then? Uh, yeah, because you know, D turned. Dan Patterson, yep. who created a comedy show called Whose Line Is It Anyway that went to America and was very big. They were all in Hubble Nim. And in fact, when we gather, I am the odd one out because I'm kind of the straight man in this room of people who have become comedy giants. And Sasha, of course, none more giant than him. I, I think you're a comedy giant. Um, okay, I just want to say... Two things. By season five, I'm calling you Johnny. That's it. And secondly, um, I have friends in high places too. So you might listen to a recording a little later in this program. If, if the listener thinks we are getting a little bit competitive about this, they would be completely right. And uh, you actually managed to pull in your contributor and it then compelled me to uh, match your contribution with Sasha Baron Cohen. People are going to hear your one later and Indeed. I think they will be wowed is my prediction. Okay, so wait, we gave out our report card uh, to the American president. I think uh, we should probably also talk about... The Israeli Prime Minister. We should, uh, because it's a new Prime Minister. This time last year when it was Rosh Hashanah, it was the same as it had been the year before and the year before <laughs> that and the year before that and the year before that. And it was Netanyahu and it's now Naftali Bennett. So I have to ask you, and it, early, it's early because he's not had long, but I, it was early for Biden too. What are your initial... Uh, you know, does he have to stand in shul and say a few al khaits Well, first of all, him? I mean, uh, he, contrary to the American president, he actually will be standing in shul. Uh, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I will say this. He's uh, been prime minister less than three months. Uh, I think if we had had this discussion a year ago, I'm not sure we would have A, believed it would be Naftali Bennett prime minister and B, believed he'd have three months. Um, so first of all, this unlikely coalition with this, you know, almost accidental prime minister, right? The, the, the fact that it has uh, uh, the hard left and the nationalist right and the centrist and an Arab party uh, for the first time uh, actively part of an Israeli coalition is still uh, going strong. It uh, probably will pass a budget soon. We have to say that in Israel, if you don't pass a budget, then the government uh, uh, falls and you go to election. And, you know, he is very clear on saying, I will reset, I will reset the tone, I will reset everything that has to do with the way that we uh, talk uh, to each other, the national vibe, right, the way uh, he's avoiding attacking the left, like he has done in the past. He's also met with the American president, it was very important for him to show that the optics, right, after 12 years of another prime minister, to show the fact that he, he is in, indeed in charge. I was really interested. Uh, that, that, that meeting was very interesting because, if again, if I told you a year ago, right, that a Democrat president and a Democratic White House would accept with open arms an Israeli that used to lead the settler movement, and not only that, but on the eve of his visit to the White House, gives an interview to the New York Times and says, uh, you know, a Palestinian state is not going to happen on my watch, you know, that is pretty uh, incredible and it's indicative not of 
I think, who Naftali Bennett is, but of rather of who he isn't. Yeah, I mean, exactly what I was going to say, the who he isn't thing, is the, you realize the ABB movement, <laughs> the anyone but BB <laughs> sentiment, rather, yeah. in Washington was so sharp and so pronounced that they were ready to roll out the red carpet, even, as you say, to um, a former settler leader who had doubled down on the eve of going on his hardline position. Didn't matter. As far as the Biden administration is concerned, you're not Netanyahu, um, and therefore you are welcome here. And it just underlines, I mean, they never really did a job of hiding it, but underlines how little love was lost between uh, Team Biden and Team Netanyahu, and uh, and I think, yeah, exactly. It's not about a personal affection, particularly for Naftali Bennett. But yeah, quite just like you were saying before, that you know it would be enough quoting Nomi Shemer if the next year is different. In a way, just that the fact that the Bennett Lapid government exists counts as a huge achievement, whether it's strong or weak, whatever. It has confounded so many predictions, not yours. You predicted it um, on this podcast. Uh, you know, even before the Israeli elections had happened, you said that could happen, and it has. I think it's amazing that it is still intact. And, the, and, and you know, you've got to say every day that it's there, it gets people used to it being there and establishes it and entrenches it more. So, yeah, he's going to be, I think when he comes to chess beating, he will be go quite, you know, light on it, go, go easy on himself because he'll feel we did it. We got there and I am the prime minister, yeah. you know, despite people's expectations. Uh, of course, it still needs to be said that he is a prime minister without a political base, which is a very strange phenomenon, right? I mean, uh, he uh, got 6% of the votes. We talked about this at length on season one, right, how he actually became prime minister. But the fact is that his natural base, right, the settler movement or the more liberal part of the settler movement, the religious Zionists, um, they don't support him in, in droves. They still support Benjamin Netanyahu. When you see the polls in Israel, uh, the, the Netanyahu-Gantz government gets 46% now of approval rating. You might think that's not very high, but the Bennett uh, government, Ben Lapid government, is getting 33%. So they still have a problem. Again, you can say... He can say to himself, to himself, I'm a prime minister for two years, right, until the rotation agreement turns to the premiership to Lapid. I'll do whatever I want in those two years, and I don't need a political base. But if he does want a future in politics, he's 49 years old, this could be a problem. Now, of course, another problem for this leader, the same as it is a problem for the American leader uh, and for the British leader and every other leader around the world, is obviously COVID. Now, Israel and, and Naftali Bennett took a, a pretty big uh, decision here to give the booster. He gave it before anyone else in the world gave it and then he opened it up to 12 to age 12 and up but the numbers in Israel are still extremely high right we are uh, the number the top of the list of um, daily new confirmed COVID cases per million people 11,000 confirmed a day in Israel uh, so the booster shots are for now uh, helping with the severe cases and they are in decline but when this is all rumbling in the background schools are open Rosh Hashanah is upon us with a huge family gatherings people are flying abroad and coming back you know it kind of feels like a collective experiment in wishful thinking 5.5 million Israelis have been vaccinated with two doses Two and a half million have received the booster. Um, we're a nation of nine million. So that's pretty good numbers. The problem really is uh, the, the Delta variant that has, you know, taken everything uh, and changed this uh, picture completely. And, and we'll see what, what will happen. But a lot of people are really concerned. Uh, definitely that kind of relief you feel on the 
beginning of September when you're not talking about myself specifically, put your kids in school is a little bit, you know, put in the shadow of the fact that you're kind of worried about COVID and what will that do when when schools are completely open? And it might, you know, if this is a success, if the booster is a success, then then Naftali Bennett could uh, be a successful prime minister. If it isn't, he's in in very, very uh, dangerous waters. You know, we mentioned talking about flying around and how we want to. Um, I did do, as I mentioned, a couple of flights this uh, summer for not for a vacation, unfortunately, but for, for uh, a book that I'm working on. I went to Poland and to Slovakia and I was with actually a colleague who carries an Israeli passport. And what was really interesting was it was much easier for him to get in and out of these countries than it was for me with a UK passport. And that was, I'm sure, because fixed in the European mind, maybe the American mind, I think as well, uh, very definitely with America, is the idea that Israel was a real leader on vaccination. They're way ahead and they're covered. And so there's a kind of lag in the policy where people, governments still think Israel is right ahead there and basically has dealt with it. Even though, as you say, with 11,000 cases a day, they really haven't. Israel benefits from its early success, that early sprint Mm -hmm. it did with the vaccine. So even if it's now staggering a bit, it doesn't matter in terms of the way the world sees Israel. It still thinks it is fine. In terms of how the world sees Israel, I think that's a good cue for our next Hollywood A-list star guest on Unholy. Hello there, unholy listeners. Hello, Yonit and Jonathan. This is Gal Gadot here. Um, Surprise, surprise. My Mensch of the Year is actually a manchette. Uh, Looking back at this year, there were so many brave women, but one that really stood out was the amazing triumph of Shira Izakov, a young, beautiful woman from Itzperamon in Israel. Exactly one year ago, she was gravely wounded after her ex-husband stabbed her for 20 times. And she was saved only thanks to her neighbor who heard her crying for help. While she was still in recovery, she decided that she shouldn't be the one who should feel ashamed of this. It's the attacker who should be ashamed. And with a brave voice and strong sense of justice, Shira went publicly with her campaign against her attacker and became an inspiration to all women out there on the quest to break the cycle of domestic violence. And she did it with so much compassion, kindness, and a beautiful smile and managed to turn a tragedy to a source of pride. So, Shana Tova, Shira, and Shana Tova to all of you. Only Wonder Woman, Yonit. Only Gal Gadot. Okay, so listen, I'm very, very proud that I know Sasha Baron Cohen. How on earth do you know Wonder Woman herself? Well, um, we were in the same uh, youth movement. No, we weren't. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I was in the youth movement of people who have imaginary friends, so I probably didn't meet anyone then. But um, uh, no, the, uh, Israel, it's Israel, Jonathan. There's one degree of separation between any two people in this country. You know this. So I was, I think, introduced to Gal, I guess, 15 years ago uh, by a very close friend, also incidentally named Gal. This is a very common name in Israel. Uh, and ever since uh, we've known each other, have to say uh, that uh, huge 
fame has not changed her one bit. She's still the nicest person, the coolest, very down to earth, very, very intelligent, just incredibly sweet. And uh, she recorded this uh, Mensch of the Year for us. And I think she chose beautifully because Shira has really uh, just become this heroine this year in, in Israel and symbolizes what you can do uh, if you realize that you have the power to, to make a change. I think it's amazing. I think our two uh, Hollywood A-listers could themselves have a make a major bid for Mensch of the Week status for us. Um, Sasha Baron Cohen doing the, with that choice of Mark Benioff telling that story about um, getting health equipment, protective equipment into the British Health Service, and and Sasha obviously does a huge amount philanthropically himself. Big campaigner on the social networks and. Uh, and for um, Save the Children and all kinds of other charities. So the pair of them would could absolutely be our joint Mention of the Week. And I thought Gal's choice of Shira, the campaigner on domestic violence, was really good to illuminate that issue. We have to, just you and me now, Hollywood B or C listers, um, need to come up with our own nominations for the week, I think. You can't monkey um, with tradition. That is our uh, weekly tradition, right? We just have it to is, it yeah. is, exactly. That is our um, custom here. So why don't you, have you got some, well, chutzpah of the week is our first uh, uh, order of business. Who's Who do you think has acted, to quote Sasha, chutzpah dickily, <laughs> which was a great little coinage. In our Hebrew corner, do, Yiddish do, corner. Do you think we should use it? So, okay. Uh, mine is an Israeli politician. Uh, the first Israeli politician ever to be flagged by Twitter by posting fake news. That uh, dubious honor was given to Netanyahu loyalist in the Likud, MK Galit Distal Atbarian, who posted a doctored video of President Biden allegedly falling asleep during uh, the meeting between Prime Minister Naftali Bennett. Uh, I should say she's also an, an author, so she probably knows something about fiction. This became viral. Uh, in Hebrew uh, and uh, she claimed she posted an original White House video which she didn't she claimed she never said Biden was asleep uh, she did and I think that's a worthy chutzpah nominee for this week no I think she has definitely acted chutzpahically uh, and she is uh, a worthy nominee I, my offer would be a man called Fritz Bergren who is an official of the United States State Department who is under fire uh, because at least 70 of his co-workers have complained uh, about posts he has made on social media, uh, which they say are anti-Semitic. And he's done them, published them on his own website, which has featured screeds against uh, Jews, including the statement that Jews are not God's chosen people, uh, that Judeo-Christian is Antichrist, uh, Jewish ideas poison people. So, you know, he doesn't seem like a great guy. <laughs> Incredible that he is an employee of the State Department and the, he's become uh, the subject of um, this sort of protest, really, and a bit of a rebellion uh, by uh, State Department employees saying that they don't feel safe with him around. So they say he's violated department rules and ethical standards. I think we can say someone posting like that has definitely uh, chutzpah at the very, very least. Look at you putting us in the mood for Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> yeah, he could do a bit of al hate, couldn't he? A little, just a bit, just a little bit. The only problem is the religion is, in his view, the religion of the Antichrist. But apart from that, I think he may well Te want technical to learn details. the al hate. Technical details. <laughs> technical details. <laughs> so for Mensch, we, I think we joked before about this story being an absolute perennial, which is, again, about Afghanistan. 
every news organization, every correspondent in Afghanistan at some point has filed the story about the last Jew in Afghanistan. In fact, there were two of them and they were warring with each other. Of course I'm sure they we were. talked about this. Um, you know, they argued over this was the synagogue I wouldn't be seen dead in. Just the two of them hated each other. And the story was told that they were both put in jail and eventually the Taliban kicked them out of jail because it just couldn't bear the listening to the two of them arguing anymore, which, you know, is one of those stories that is too good to check. We want that to be true. Anyway, there was an effort by Moshe Margaretten, who is a Haredi Orthodox fixer who specializes in, in rescuing Jews, bringing them out of danger. He wanted to get the last Jew in Afghanistan out of Afghanistan, didn't realize that actually there's always trouble and that the man, the last Jew, Zevulin Simantov, didn't want to leave for a complicated story involving a get uh, decree of divorce with his wife. He didn't want to leave. And so the resources were already been deployed and the man he dispatched to release the last Jew out of Afghanistan said, look, I can't get him out. He doesn't want to leave. But there is a whole lot of other people who want to get out, including members of the country's national women's soccer team, judges, prosecutors. He turned round to uh, Moshe Margaretten and said, do you want to pay for them to get out? And Margaretten, instead of saying, no, it was only the other guy I wanted, said yes. He drummed up $80,000 from his Haredi Orthodox Jewish community and they got a whole lot of people out. Um, it seems like it's upwards of around 46 people, families, the judge, the prosecutor, but their families as well. Um, it's pretty impressive and great Rahmanas, great uh, human compassion. And I think uh, Moshe Margaretten would be a worthy mensch of the week. I think that's a very good choice on your part, John Johnny. <laughs> good. I stick with Johnny, Johnny. I like it. It makes me feel at home. You and I can go hiking. It's a, it's a, it's a slippery. Only in the Welsh countryside, it's a slippery slope because from Johnny we go to Yoni, and then it's Yoni and Yoni. We have to start a band. It's you know we were going with it's the wrong there's the wrong direction. Um, so this was uh, season two, episode one. Uh, we wanted to remind you you can also find us on the weekly newsletter of the Forward and uh, El Al Flights. And since you mentioned the Forward, actually both are chutzpah and mensch nominees did uh, have their stories reported in the forward so it is very timely uh, that you can find us in their weekly newsletter you can of course also find us on our instagram at two jews no numbers just letters subscribe follow just somehow show the love we are here for season two but unlike some shows we are not killing off any main characters yet but we will give you a list of main characters that we want to thank. Uh, our executive producer, Lior Friedman, gets the biggest thank. And of course, also uh, Rom Atik and Omer Primat, Rod Eshel for original music, and the great team at Keshet Idanel Rom and Itai Dankner. Jonathan, Johnny Friedland, you owe me about five honey cakes. Have a great year. It would be such a pleasure, wouldn't it, to sit and have honey cake together? Thank you uh, for that wish, for those wishes. Shana tova, peaceful and happy new year to you too, Yoni, and to our listeners. Shana tova, we'll see you next week. Bye.